0: Welcome to Courageous Wellness. My name is Erica Stein. And I'm Ellie French.
1: And this is a podcast about individual journeys toward wellness and how to navigate
0: it all. We were inspired to learn about the journeys of normal people from all walks of life that have combined all types of practices, from physical to emotional to spiritual, to figure out what wellness means to them and what works for them. We
1: aren't doctors or experts, just average ladies figuring out how to live our best lives while tackling topics all across the wellness spectrum. It takes courage to share these journeys, and by talking about them and sharing personal stories of real people, we aim to destigmatize the process. Join us as we in our community share our courageous wellness. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Courageous Wellness. This week, we have Genevieve Riutort, the Chief Development Officer of the West Side Food Bank, on the podcast. Genevieve was born in the Bronx, where she developed an appreciation for social services early in life due to her mother's efforts to find every possible program to lift the family out of poverty. In adulthood, while going through a divorce, Genevieve found herself food insecure and in need of assistance. Having experienced firsthand the terror of being unable to provide food for her children and the relief of finding a safety net in her time of need reminded her of how crucial social service programs can be to
0: people in times of crisis. This experience inspired her current hunger relief work. On this episode, we discuss her personal journey to the Westside Food Bank, how the food gets distributed and where it is sourced, their value on nutrition, and our own experiences with food insecurity. Westside Food Bank serves 70 member agencies on the West side of Los Angeles, and over 100,000 people benefit from these services each year. We are grateful to Genevieve for the work that she does and are excited to share this deeply personal episode. Enjoy the show.
1: Genevieve. It's absolutely my pleasure. So to get started, can you tell um, our listeners a little bit about you, your background, and how that has led you into the current work that you do?
2: So I grew up in a low-income neighborhood in the Bronx in New York City. My mom was pretty much a lifelong New Yorker. She was born in Puerto Rico, but came to New York as a baby. Mm -hmm. And so she really knew the city. And, you know, she was well-educated, but we didn't have a lot of money. And um, when she and my dad divorced, she was on her own and a single mom. And we lived in a tenement apartment building and a fifth-floor walk-up. And she was really good at accessing every kind of social service that was available. Mm -hmm. So as a child, without even really being aware of it, I benefited from food assistance. I benefited from after-school play programs, um, scholarship programs, summer camp programs. Mm -hmm. Um, So I really had a very rich and full life. Mm -hmm. And it was because of the social service network that existed in New York City in the 1970s that was there for people like our family. Mm -hmm. And I really understood what that was like, and when I was very young my my mom was on food stamps. she wanted to be able to be home with me um as a young child because she had worked all through my older and brother older brother and sisters' childhoods, and so we were on food stamps and I remember and back in those days, it was like it was like this money that was colorful and it was really <sighs> obvious and you know I remember one day uh, we were at the checkout, and she would have to very carefully tear out the food stamps on the perforation to pay for the the groceries. And I said, you know, this takes so long. Why don't you do it ahead of time? Why don't you do it at home? And she said, well, one of the rules is that you have to do it in front of the cashier. And I didn't think anything about it. But looking back, I realized that that was just, you know, sort of one of many small indignities that Mm -hmm. honest people that are low income have to endure to ensure that there isn't any fraud, which, you know, there's so little fraud in these types of programs. Um, but I, it was something that, that really stuck with me because I thought, you know, it'd be so much faster if you just tore them out ahead of time and mm-hmm. had it all ready. Um, and so that was really my background is recognizing that there is a social service safety net and that it's there for you if you need it. Mm-hmm. You know, and then I, I you know, I, I, grew up having a great education also because of a nonprofit organization that got me a scholarship to a great school. And, you know, later in life, I found myself married with two young children pregnant with a third, and in the process of getting a divorce. Mm. And I was terrified. I had been a stay-at-home mom for four years. We had a business, but um, I hadn't really worked professionally. And I didn't know what I was going to do. I was pregnant. I didn't think anyone was going to want to hire me. I didn't really have any, you know, recent work experience. And I needed that social safety net. And I remember what it was like to be that mother who was just terrified about how are my kids and I going to make it? How are we going to have enough food? How are we going to have a place to live? Mm. And it was a transitional period. And obviously I knew I was going to get through it. and, And once the divorce was complete, things would settle. But in the transition, and especially feeling so vulnerable, being pregnant and having two children under five in addition to that right. um it was really scary and so i remember that terror and then i remember the incredible sense of relief mm-hmm. knowing that there was a safety net and that it was there for me and that i could access benefits and i could get food and there's something about that feeling of the cupboard going from empty to full that just gives you this incredible sense of relief and security because you look at those full cupboards and you know no matter what happens in the next week or two, we're going to eat. And I'm not going to have to look at my kids and go, how are we going to eat? Whose house can I go to? You know, Mm -hmm. what are we going to do? And now that I work in food security, I love that I get to give that sense of relief to other mothers Mm -hmm. and to other people who are, you know, through no fault of their own in almost every case, suffering from that fear. Yeah. And it's a terrifying fear because food is one of the most basic things we need. We need air, we need food, we need water. Like, this yeah. are the basic things to survive. And when you don't have regular access to any of those, it's really terrifying. Yeah. So just knowing that I get to be every day a part of making that relief happen for other people and relieving other people, whether it's moms, dads, seniors, veterans, families, whomever, knowing that I get to help them at the very least, have that security of knowing they're going to have food and not just food, but good healthy food. Mm -hmm. It's a really rewarding feeling. And also knowing that I get to be a conduit through which other people get to have that feeling. Mm -hmm. You know, I've been working in fundraising for over 15 years and people think, oh, fundraising, it must be so hard. It's actually a joy Mm. because other people who want to make a difference I get to help them make mm-hmm. a difference. And I love that. I love that I can be a way for people to realize their own sense of purpose and their own legacy and their own desire to be of service and to help them do it in a way that's going to be meaningful and impactful. So I love my job. I've been at the West Side Food Bank now for over 15 years. Wow. And again, the nonprofit world is a wonderful place to be. They took a chance on me, even though I didn't necessarily have all the right experience at the time, but I had a passion. Yeah. And I was a good writer and they needed someone to write grant proposals. And I thought, well, I can do that. Mm. (laughs) And then the next thing you know, I was able to use all my other skills in public relations, in event planning, in, you know, just connecting with people and networking. I just love people. And so over the years, I've been able to grow the organization from being less than a million dollar budget to now we're about two and a half million dollar budget. Almost all of our funding goes towards our impact, making sure that people have good, healthy food. And it's really rewarding.
1: That's really, that's amazing. And I love hearing stories. You know, the podcast was born because of our own stories and our own health journeys. And I love when you hear stories of people's individual kind of struggles that, turned into maybe it didn't create the passion for it but it's given you so much context for the work that you do Mm -hmm. because you understood firsthand the benefit of it and so in a way it's like driven you into this career and to this life work um which you may not have had the the full deep understanding of um like just having the, your personal experience be able to inform the work that you do now
2: exactly i mean my work is so rewarding but you know when i was a child would i have said oh i want to grow up and be a yeah. you know i want to work in fundraising and nonprofit social service i probably would never have thought of that you know in fact i grew up in new york city Um, wanting to be part of the entertainment industry. Mm, And I was a theater kid. And I did all kinds of theater programs, again, mainly sponsored by nonprofits. Um, And that was really the career path that I thought I was going to take. It was why I came out to Los Angeles. And I got out here and I kind of realized that it wasn't quite the right world for me, at least not at that point in time. Um, Part of it was I just... I wanted more stability. I wanted a family. Mm -hmm. Um, And part of it was also that as a Latin woman, you know, 25 years ago, the kinds of roles that were Mm -hmm. available were not necessarily what I wanted to do. Right. But, you know, life has an interesting way of bringing things around. And through my work in the nonprofit world, you know, because I have this background of being in front of a camera, being on stage, being able to, you know, speak publicly, Um, I ended up becoming the representative for the food bank. So I did PSAs and I did, you know, kind of on camera appearances. And I ended up getting offered the opportunity to have a television show with the city of Santa Monica. And it was a friend of mine who was producing and she said, how would you like to host and produce your own television show? You get to pick the guests, you get to write the scripts, you can have complete creative control. And I said, well, yeah.
1: (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) And like,
2: if I had stayed in the entertainment industry, the chances of me having my own show, probably not very good. Right. But because I pursued this other path, but I had the skills and I was sort of in the right place at the right time. I got this wonderful opportunity to bring both of my worlds together.
0: Yeah. I love that so much because you never have to, you know, we think we're compromising or we're giving something up when we follow maybe a different path than we had intended originally. But actually when you follow your mission, everything ends up, you don't ever have to compromise. I feel like so many times There's ways that it comes back. To exactly. You. Exactly. And so, you know, I, I feel so much of what you're saying. And I know I shared with you a little bit before we talked and, um, I've touched on this, I think in a couple episodes on the podcast, but I can relate to so much of what you're saying because growing up, um, there was a period of my life where my family was so poor and we had no money and we could not afford food. Um, I was on the free lunch program at school and you know, all of my mom was working two jobs and all the money went to rent. And I remember, and I'm really lucky that it was just like, a, it was a very short period of time um, and I was very young. So I wasn't fully aware, like similar to you. I, I also sure. did like free summer camps and different, you know, You're just a kid you are just having don't fun. understand yeah. fully. But <laughs> I do remember um, there was a time I love when you gave that example of like the empty cupboards and then all of a sudden they're full because that was what it was like. We met this woman and I don't know what organization she was a part of because again I was I was very young. I think my mom said she was from a church or something, but um she brought us three bags of groceries through a program that she was involved in. And I I remember I was like so excited because it was the fullest our cupboards had ever been, right? Like mm-hmm. we went from, you know, pretty empty cupboards. I think I talked on the episode that we ate a lot of fast food and dollar menu. So all of a sudden we had groceries in our house and we had snacks and it was so exciting. So, you know, I think the work you do is so amazing and so important because you never know. And it was just an isolated time in my life, but we went from having a lot to literally overnight having nothing, you know, Mm -hmm. and then my parents were able to rebuild, but you know, it's, um, it could really happen to anybody. It's not just whatever someone might think is somebody who needs assistance, right? It's really so amazing that these programs exist because you just never know what's gonna happen in life. Yeah. Um, so with that, can you tell us, for anybody who just does not know, what is the West Side Food Bank and what do you guys do for others?
2: So the West Side Food Bank is a food bank warehouse. We are kind of the um, like a wholesale hub mm-hmm. for 70 or so other agencies. Um, our service area goes from La Brea to the ocean and from Inglewood to Malibu, so it 's about one tenth of l a county um, the people The amount of people that live in our service area is a little over a million, mm-hmm. maybe about a million a hundred thousand something like that. Okay. and our food goes to about one hundred and ten thousand people in wow. that area. So we are the big warehouse where we can accept large donations by the truckload of food. And we also purchase about half of our food. And that's actually a really important part of what we do because it gives us the opportunity to control the nutritional value. Yeah. So we get a lot of food donated. There's this wonderful program that's um, statewide that's administered through the Statewide Association of Food Banks called Farm to Family, mm. and it brings food, uh, fresh produce and also eggs and frozen chicken from farms all across the state of California Mm -hmm. to food banks. And Mm. so we cooperate with other food banks to share truckloads Mm. because, you know, most of us are not big enough to accept an entire truckload of, say, frozen chicken. (laughs) That's a lot of of freezer space. (laughs) And so we work with other food banks and then that food is donated, but we pay a transportation fee. And it's Mm. a huge amount of our distribution. And we also get, you know, things like broccoli and carrots and in the summertime there's a lot of stone fruit. And you know, with stone fruit, peaches, plums, things like that. It's, there's all of it at once. Yeah. (laughs) And so we are able to benefit from that whenever there's either too much all at once or it's too ripe or it's too big or too small or too ugly to go to the grocery store Mm -hmm. for whatever reason we're able to get that.
1: So does that mean you're taking food that would otherwise be food waste from a lot of those stores?
2: Yes. Okay. So actually straight from the farm. So in some cases it's food that wouldn't even be harvested. Okay. Mm. And so because we're able to take all of that food, it's preventing a huge amount of food waste. Wow. And in our case, and we're probably one of the smaller food banks in the state, we take close to... 2 million pounds of food.
1: Wow. That's
2: donated from farms.
1: That's amazing. That doesn't even get to the store because doesn't of the way it to the looks store. or because it's like, you know, you said it all comes in one lump for if right. it's a seasonal thing.
2: For whatever reason, too big, too small, too much, Wow, um, not pretty enough. And so we're able to take all of that really wonderful fresh food and distribute it. But in some cases, it doesn't always meet the full nutritional spectrum of what we're trying to provide. So... At our food bank, we have a guarantee that at any given moment in time, we'll always have at least, let's say, four different types of fresh vegetables mm-hmm. and three different types of fresh fruits. So whatever we don't get donated, we make up for by by making food purchases on the wholesale market. Okay. And that's why a food bank exists. It's mm-hmm. because we can buy food by the truckload. Mm-hmm. And once you're buying food by the truckload, that's as cheap as food is ever going to get. Right. Yeah. So we're buying from the same wholesalers that like, Vons or Albertsons or Ralph's major grocery chains purchase from food wholesalers, we also purchase from those same food wholesalers. And so we can see, we know what's coming. So we know, okay, if we're getting broccoli donated, but there's no carrots, then we'll buy carrots. Mm, Okay. So you can, you can
1: pick and choose sort of to, to have that sort of nutritional.
2: Exactly. We want to make sure we always have some of the green vegetables, some of the colored vegetables You know, we always have staples. So things like rice and beans, potatoes, oats, um, onions, basic things that people need all the time. We always have those in stock. So if it doesn't get donated or we don't get it through the USDA, which is really a very small portion of our food comes from the United States government Mm -hmm. um, through that USDA program. It's like an agriculture support program. Um, Very small portion of our food, probably less than 5%. But they do sometimes provide some of those staples like Mm. rice. But on the weeks when they don't, we purchase it. Mm. And so having um, the, the support of fundraising dollars when people are able to donate money to us... We're able to take every dollar and turn it into enough food for four nutritious meals. Wow! wow. So that's, that's even amazing. better than the dollar menu. Yeah, <laughs> yeah
1: it And it way more
0: nutrients. Yeah, way more
2: nutritious. Yes, that's
0: incredible. Wow. So how do you distribute? Like, yeah. how, what is that process like to get it to the people who need it as well? So
2: we have member agencies, mm-hmm. and they all have to go through a vetting process to be part of our system. They have okay. to be five hundred one c three nonprofits. Um, and many of them are run by congregations mm. um, or by community mm-hmm. groups, but they have to be their own separate nonprofit okay. that is connected with food. Um, there are other rules. For example, food cannot be connected with proselytizing. Mm-hmm. So you know there yeah. there should be no religious requirement in order, in order, to, order receive to receive food. Okay. So even if it's a church or a temple that distributes the food, they have to distribute to anyone regardless of yeah, whether right. or not they're participants in the faith.
0: My family that makes so much sense now because, like I said, I think we got it from a church. Right. But where my we grew up practicing Buddhism. My parents were practicing Buddhism for forty years. We're not affiliated with any right. church, not even a Buddhist temple. Like it's a lay or <laughs> Organization. So that, like hearing you, I'm like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. Right. Because this church yeah. group gave us food. Yeah. yeah.
2: So those organizations, even if they're run by by a faith group, they exist to help the general public.
0: Right. That's amazing. And
2: so our agencies, once they go through the process to become an agency, and most of our agencies have been with us for probably, we we're around for 36 years. Okay. And most of our agencies have been with us for that long. You know, we've added some new ones along the way. But they will come to our warehouse Typically once a week Mm -hmm. and usually very early in the morning and they will pick up food from us and then they take the food and distribute it out um, into the community. Mm -hmm. I would say 90% of our food goes to programs that are food pantries that give out free groceries. Okay. Mm -hmm. So most of our food is going to housed individuals and Mm -hmm. families who just don't quite make enough money to pay their rent and all their expenses so they need the free food and that's that's the bulk of our food, and I would say the other ten to twelve percent goes to um, some homeless shelters, domestic violence shelters, mm. uh, preschool and after school programs, places like the Boys and Girls Club, mm. yeah. um, hot meal programs, um, basically anyone that's serving usually meals sometimes it's it's bagged lunches mm-hmm. um, but mostly prepared food, so that's a very small portion of our food. I think mm-hmm. people tend to think, oh food banks that's for for homeless people." Um, But honestly, especially here in Los Angeles where the cost of living is so high, the vast majority of our food goes to people who are housed, in most cases families that have at least one full-time working adult, Mm -hmm. um, and a very small portion of the food is going to people that are homeless or in transition.
1: Mm. I think that's a really important thing to bring up and to talk about that... um Obviously we have a huge homeless population here in in Southern California um, and that can be a sort of a discussion probably for another episode but that there are also you're saying you serve essentially like about hundred and ten thousand of a population that's just over a million. so about 10 percent mm-hmm. of the people that you serve of of this population right, right of, of our this geographical area. yeah mm-hmm. of your service area. Um and the majority of those people are hu- are housed, yes, but still need food yeah. assistance. and I think that's something to like it's it's talked about less yeah because right. it's less overt. it's less sort of apparent. you know, you drive down the street and you can see sort of the severity of the homeless population now and and that um issue, I guess it's very obvious. it's very yeah. obvious. but this what you're talking about is not obvious, but just as important that there are that many people living on the I don't know if I'm going to be able to feed my family exactly. tonight.
2: And that's literally the definition of food insecurity. Mm-hmm. Food insecurity means not having a consistent, regular access to enough healthy, nutritious food to meet your needs and your family's needs. Mm. And for us, you know, it's the homelessness crisis in Los Angeles is really escalating. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the biggest part of it, unfortunately, are the people who are newly falling into homelessness. Mm-hmm. Um, thankfully, because of some of the bond measures that we've passed, we're starting to really make a dent in the long-term homeless population uh-huh. the people that have been chronically homeless for years, people who are dual diagnosed, people who have other issues as well and have been on the street for years. but we need additional support for the families that are living on the edge. And there's Mm -hmm. so many. I mean, you know, there's like a national survey, and I don't know the exact number, but a huge proportion of people live one paycheck away from homelessness or crisis, you know, who would not be able to afford a major health scare or the car breaking down. Mm -hmm. And so we really look at our food as homelessness prevention. Yeah. Because when people are spending 50, 60, in some cases, 70% of their income just on their rent and to stay housed, there really isn't a lot left over for healthy food and for childcare, transportation, medical care. So we really feel like if we can provide on a consistent basis, fresh, nutritious, healthy food then that's one less thing that those families have to pay for and they can use their resources to meet their other needs and ideally to stay housed because I know, I mean, I know from my own personal experience, Mm -hmm. every time you lose, a family loses an apartment, the next apartment is going to be more expensive expensive. Mm -hmm. and the apartment that they left is going to be more expensive for the next family. Mm -hmm. So if we can keep people in their housing, it's going to keep the cost of housing down overall and really... Reduce the homelessness crisis. And, you know, I've been at the food bank for 15 years, and there has been a a really dramatic shift in the way that we provide service. Mm. Because when I first started, mostly the kinds of people that we were seeing at our pantries were really the lowest income people, Mm -hmm. and they were mostly visiting pantries when there was an emergency. The car broke down, dad's back went out, and he couldn't work for three weeks. You know, something happened, and they needed some emergency food assistance. And we saw that need growing at about 4% a year.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: And then 2008 happened. Right. And the financial crisis hit. And all of a sudden, people who had been our donors were needing help. People who never thought that they would need food assistance were finding themselves in that position because so many industries crashed and jobs were lost. And now, you know, over 10 years later... We see that the need has not gone down. So the need skyrocketed. It went to like, you know, an increase of 80 or 90%. It almost doubled after the financial crisis. And now what we find is that many people have regained employment, but they're not making as much as they used to. They don't have the same level of benefits and they need help more consistently. Mm -hmm. And so the burden became on us to really make sure that we were providing the most nutritious food. Yeah. Because if people are are depending on you on a more regular basis, especially when it's children, you really want to make sure that they're getting the best range of nutrients. And also the same people that access our food benefits are also the highest at risk for things like obesity, Mm -hmm. diabetes, hypertension, some of those diet related illnesses that can really be mitigated by a healthy diet.
1: Mm. So let's talk about that a little bit because we're very passionate about this and sort of like the more we dive into the wellness world and the the sort of like privilege of that community and the way that we can eat and the way, especially in Southern California, you have like literally anything at your fingertips, but there's also pockets a couple miles from where we're talking right now that are food deserts Mm -hmm. and there's... No access, even if a family is um, receiving uh, food stamps of some kind or assistance of some kind, what's available to buy with that, too? And um, and transportation. If yes, you don't have a car, exactly.
2: it's hard to get to those good markets. Right. But it's hard to bring fresh food
1: mm-hmm. home. It's true. And I know that sometimes the farmer's market, like I know the Culver City farmer's market takes... Um, Food stamps mm-hmm. now, which is which is awesome. I don't know if it's more expensive to use mm-hmm. them there than it is to go to like a bodega and get Doritos or mm-hmm. soda. It's
2: definitely better to go to the, the farmers market. Mm-hmm. And no, in fact, I'm many sure of the farmers markets yeah. have a program where they not only accept the EBT card, which yes. is um, the CalFresh or yes. food stamps benefit. But they will double the benefits. So great to know. So I'm they'll glad give...
1: You, you really need an expert for that information. So folks
2: that that um, that are receiving those benefits can typically go to the farmers market and get twice as much as we would get with our dollars, which okay. is a wonderful program. That's yes, incredible. that's amazing.
1: But I don't. That definitely doesn't exist everywhere. It
2: doesn't exist, everywhere. and
1: oftentimes communities only have access to um, really like food products, not even fresh right. food, processed,
2: food. processed
1: foods that come in boxes. That and come...
2: often it's more expensive. So if you're going to that corner bodega right. versus a gross, a big grocery store, yeah. um, that food is going to cost a third to 50% as much as it would cost in the wow. grocery store. And so they've done studies that show that low income people tend to spend more money mm. for the same products because wow. they are, They don't have access to the big grocery stores in many cases.
1: So, and that's a transportation issue. It's
2: a transportation issue. It's also a a neighborhood issue. Mm -hmm. You know, there are certain neighborhoods where uh, businesses don't want to invest. And there's a, there's a, a, an idea that those businesses and those neighborhoods don't, won't support a a business. Mm -hmm. And that really isn't the case, but that's still something that, that, a lot of low-income neighborhoods have to overcome. Okay. And in the meantime, you know, right here in Los Angeles, and this is what I tell people all the time, you know, right here in Los Angeles, right here in West Los Angeles, there are people who are food insecure. There Mm -hmm. are children who are food insecure. And for those of us that are not food insecure, for those of us who know that every day, no matter what, we're going to have enough to eat and we're going to have great food and maybe we have the privilege of going out to wonderful restaurants and eating some of the best cuisine in the world that we have access to here in Los Angeles, we have a responsibility.
0: Yeah, absolutely. To make
2: sure that everyone else and that our neighbors within one mile, two miles, five miles of where we live have enough to eat. And I think yeah. it's important to support food efforts globally. Yeah. Yeah. But it's also really important to support locally.
0: We want to take a quick moment away from this episode to tell you about today's sponsor, Beekeeper's Naturals. Beekeeper's Naturals is a wellness company specializing in innovative nutraceuticals made from healing hive compounds and plant-based ingredients. Their mission is to improve people's health naturally and save the bees.
1: Erica and I absolutely love these products and have been using them since December when CEO and founder Carly
0: Stein was featured on the podcast. I use their bee pollen in my smoothies and love the superfood cacao honey. It is so delicious. But my favorite is the Bee Chill Hemp Honey. It delivers a powerful 28 milligrams of hemp oil per teaspoon so you can find your bliss. Made with USA-grown hemp, it is non-psychoactive and contains 0% THC. I take it most evenings before bed or when I get home from activities to completely relax and sleep through the night. It also curbs my sweet tooth since it is so delicious. What about you, Allie? Well, if you know me,
1: you know I love the Propolis spray more than anything, but I also love the Beelixir Brain Fuel. It's a caffeine-free liquid vial with ingredients like ginkgo biloba and royal jelly that is really great for fighting brain fog and enhancing focus and concentration
0: without the jitters. If you want to try Beekeepers Naturals, you can receive 15% off your order by using the code Wellness, all one word, at checkout, or visit beekeepersnaturals.com slash courageouswellness, which you can also find in our show notes. Now, back to the episode. We were talking about, you know, earlier about the homeless issue in Los Angeles. I think Los Angeles has the largest homeless population in In the the country. country, Yes. Um, You know. It's it's shameful. It's unbelievable. Um, But like you said, that's obvious, right? But Mm -hmm. here you are. We're talking about this isn't obvious and it is people in our backyards who might right. not look food insecure but are and even you know it could I, be the nurse or the home health yeah. worker that's taking care of your grandma
2: Absolutely. it could be the lady that's that's checking out your groceries at CVS
0: yeah i mean i was going to public school in malibu <laughs> this is where i was on free lunch was at yeah. malibu high school right. and which malibu is, middle school which is like literally one of the most affluent communities right. in there's the world there's so much
2: hidden hunger there yeah. is
0: i mean and it wasn't you know like i said you know I, I, I'm 30. So the Malibu of today, I mean, it was always fancy, but it was much more of like a beachy hippie community when I was growing up. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it was very much like a small town feel. So ev- it was not hidden. Like everybody knew what was going on in my family for better or for worse. But you know, now it's so interesting as an adult when, you know, I share people are like, where are you from? And it's like, Oh, I'm from Malibu. And it's, it's like you just never know what someone's story is like right. later during or when it could happen because it really I think it's this concept of like people care about things that impact themselves right or right. yeah that they have a personal relationship with but at the end of the day really caring about food accessibility and making sure that Everybody in our local community is eating. It and, is helping and ourselves. Yeah, nutrients like nutritious exactly food is, is
1: should be a right, not yeah. like real. Food and this should is be a right. important
0: because honestly, it could happen to anybody. Like you said, it's one missed paycheck, it's one loss of a job, yeah. it's one terrible injury. You know, it's you just all the money in the world can go away tomorrow. So right. it's really like I, you know, it's this concept of like. You can't be truly happy if other people are suffering. It's like you have to help other people and then one day that's gonna come back to you in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. Yeah. I mean a great example
2: of that is one of the the most food insecure populations in our service area is college students. Mm -hmm. And there have been some recent studies that show within the Los Angeles community college system. Mm Over 65% of the students at community colleges in Los Angeles are food insecure. Wow. 65%. It's more than that. And in the UC system, it's not much better. It's like Mm -hmm. 30% of students.
1: And to be honest, that doesn't surprise me. And again, this is probably another conversation we could have at some point. But I think about it. I mean, I was really fortunate. I grew up with a single mom, too. Um, And I remember her even saying there were... Months where she's like, I didn't know where we were going to be able to pay our bills. And my dad was around in a part of my life. And, you know, I knew that there was a, definitely a support system. It wasn't... Mm-hmm. But I remember her even sharing that. And, um, but I was fortunate enough to get, like you were saying, uh, um... I got opportunity to go to private school at one point and mm-hmm. I got scholarship at one point, And then when I went to like a great college, but with a great financial aid package right. and things where I wasn't graduating with hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of debt. Right. There are plenty of students now that graduate if they want to get a higher education of any kind, graduate with plenty of debt. So they're not only food insecure, but then starting out in a ton of debt. Yeah. And it's like, how are we setting our future generations, right up, I mean these are know? the people that
2: we're counting on to yeah. solve some of the big societal problems, whether it's climate change or you know housing, you know we need yeah. our students to be able to function
0: how you know I think we were talking to you about how people don't know, right? Like it's not as obvious. And people also don't talk about this, you know, because I think there is a lot of shame
2: Mm -hmm.
0: attached to it. Like, oh, I couldn't afford food or I was on free lunch or right. People will suffer in silence. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you think we can break that shame or make this more like, it's okay if you need assistance or, Mm -hmm. you know, it doesn't mean it's going to be forever. And like, here we are to help. I, I don't know. I just wonder how we can really break this mm-hmm. shame because even when I, I've, I'm so open about my story and I always have been my whole life. When we started the podcast, I was like, this is so personal to share on such a public mm-hmm. space. And of course here I am sharing it, but there is a moment of like fear, right? right. About, it's like bullshit fear, honestly, but it's like, it's, it's, there is, there is fear and shame attached to it. Um, so how do you see us like breaking that? Well, I think part of it is
2: doing what you so bravely have done, mm. and that's sharing your story because the truth is when we share things that are difficult, that's what creates mm. true connection. yeah mm-hmm. And that's by making ourselves vulnerable, we give other people permission to make themselves vulnerable, yeah and then we recognize that, in fact, we have so much more in common. And everyone in life has challenges. Like you were saying, you don't know what someone's story is. Mm -hmm. And someone's story may not be food insecurity, but it might be an abusive family environment. Um, And so, you know, we all have things that are privileges and Mm -hmm. we all have things that are challenges. And I think the more that we can be honest with each other... And then there are things that we can do structurally, you know, with the free and reduced lunch programs at school, Mm -hmm. one of the things that has helped to reduce the stigma, making those programs available universally. So Mm -hmm. if it's a school that has, I forget the percentage, but if it's like over 70% um, need for free and reduced lunches, then every student gets it regardless Mm -hmm. of need. Right. And so it helps those kids to not stand out and to not feel ashamed and with some of the college programs that we're working with, we do similar things. Because the students that are privileged, they know they're privileged. Mm-hmm. They're not going to go get the free food. Right. You know, they don't need it. They don't want it. And they recognize it's not for them. Right. But when we make, you know, for example, we do a free farmer's market program at Santa Monica College. Wow. And it's available to anyone. And you just have to be a student. But, the, you know, the students, I mean, I have the administrators say to me, you know, we have some students that don't need this. They order you know, meal delivery services. They're (laughs) fine. But the students that are willing to stand in line for an hour and get that fresh produce, they really need it. And I've had students tell me that this is the only fresh produce that they have access to in their week Mm. because they, you know, at a community college, they don't necessarily have meal programs like they do at universities. Um, and so by making it, uh, Available more broadly and reducing that stigma and and making it easier for people to access benefits without standing out. I know at UCLA Mm -hmm. they have what they call the food closet. Okay. And it's mostly word of mouth and there's no tracking. So Mm -hmm. students can just come in, they can grab an orange or a banana, they can grab some, you know, pop top cans that they can heat up in the microwave or Mm -hmm. a burrito or whatever it is. And they don't—they don't have to apply. They don't have to sit down and be interviewed. They can just grab the food. And we do the same thing with veterans. So we have a veteran program mm-hmm. at the West LA VA campus. And once a week, every Thursday. So if you have any veterans that are mm-hmm. listening, yeah. Thursdays from twelve to two, we're out there with our refrigerated van. And all you have to do is show a card that shows that you're a veteran. And no questions asked, you get a bag of groceries. Wow, And it's mostly fresh produce, but sometimes we'll add other things like granola bars or some pantry staples. We also have a program at some of the elementary schools. So actually right here in Culver City, there are several high-need schools within the Culver City Food District. Mm. And we wanted to make it accessible to parents because we know these are people who are working, in some cases, two or three jobs. Mm -hmm. And so there is a farmer's market that's set up at drop-off. Mm. So the parents come, they drop off their kids. They can do a quick run around the farmer's market, you know, quote unquote farmer's market right. and for free shop for fresh vegetables, eggs, pantry staples, and they don't have to make a special trip. So we are doing everything we can to bring food to where people are mm-hmm. because it makes it easier and it, people want to feel like they're a part of a community. Mm. Yeah. So if you can pick up food at your kid's school That's a place that you feel a part of and it's a connection, whereas having to go to an outside food pantry where you don't know anyone can sometimes feel a little intimidating and particularly for um, populations that are mixed status families who may not feel comfortable Mm. going to, you know, in many cases, they don't know the difference between what's a government agency and what's a private nonprofit and there may be some fear. But they go to their kids' school every day. Yeah. Right. So that is a place where we know we can catch them, and they feel safe, and they can come and get food, and there's no questions asked. It's just, here we are. We're yeah. here for you. And you know that those schools are 90% need. Yeah. So people are not going to stop. People who don't need it are going to run off and, and do their day.
0: Right. <laughs> that's so amazing. and I, I I just think that's so incredible, and it makes it so it's just, it's such a beautiful thing that you're doing. Um, so I'd love to know, you know, what are some of the most challenging parts of your job? You know, like, is there anything that are, that you find like, what have been the most challenging parts of your job? And then, you know, I I know we've touched on a lot of it, but what is the most rewarding part as well?
2: Uh, Well, I'll start with challenges so we can end with rewards. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, I would say the biggest challenge, and this is probably true for anyone that works in the nonprofit world, Mm. and particularly nonprofit social service, is that we just are under-resourced. And I think, you know, if, if I have one personal mission aside from feeding people, it's having people understand that the work that nonprofit organizations do is professional highly skilled work Mm -hmm. and it requires professional highly skilled people and the type of people that are attracted to this kind of work have a passion Mm -hmm. but just because you have a passion doesn't mean that you have to take a vow of poverty Mm -hmm. (laughs) and i think that we are going to be more effective as a sector if we pay people appropriately if we provide adequate benefits if we recognize that we have to fund the whole program so there's a lot of conversation now in the nonprofit world about full cost funding. So some people will say, well, I only want my dollar to go buy food.
1: Mm. Well,
2: that's okay. We need food, but we also need electricity. Right. Mm-hmm. We also need salaries. We yes. also need you know, trucks. We also need gas for those trucks. And so I really like to talk rather than about how much of your money goes to program, how much of your money goes to impact. And mm-hmm. the truth is... All of your money goes to impact. Right. Because when you are funding a nonprofit organization, you are funding the work that they do. Mm -hmm. And you're funding the people that it takes to do that work, the equipment that it takes to do that work. And I would love to see all nonprofit organizations be better resourced and to have fewer restrictions on those resources. Mm -hmm. Because the truth is, we are professionals. We know what we're doing and we do it with a whole lot of passion. So... When we are entrusted to use the, the dollars that the public gives us in the way that we know is going to be the most impactful, mm-hmm. that's the most helpful thing. So, you know, I would love to have more people on our staff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we're small and mighty. We have eight full-time people and one part-time person. And with just that amount of people, we're able to push out about 5 million pounds of food a year. Wow. So we all work really hard. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's great. But I do think we could do more with more. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one challenge is just feeling a little bit under-resourced. Um and and also just the scope of the problem. Of course. You know, I mean I would love to be out of a job. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I would love for this problem to go away and for me to have to go find something else to do with my time because hunger has been solved.
1: Yeah.
2: Um and but at the same time we know that hunger isn't gonna be solved, um, at least not anytime soon. Right. And so, you know, we even recognize that we recently went through strategic planning and we changed our mission statement to make the bold statement that it is our mission to end hunger in our community Mm -hmm. and whatever that means and ending Mm -hmm. hunger in our community might mean that we have to continue existing into perpetuity to be that organization that's helping to not only provide food but to advocate for all of the systems you know because we can't do it alone we're any even the biggest food banks cannot do it without the support Mm -hmm. of government. I mean, the the CalFresh program can serve 10 times as many people as we can. Mm -hmm. So we have to make sure that we're also acting as advocates for the greater system and making sure that people have access to food, making sure that You know, I'm always happy when we lose a source of donation because they find a way to make that food more affordable Mm -hmm. because that means the system is working better. Yeah. So, you know, so those are some of the bigger challenges. And I think, you know, awareness and letting people know, I mean, I wish I had a big marketing budget and I could have ads on every bus and every street. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's why we really rely on word of mouth and people being our ambassadors and that's one of the greatest rewards is mm-hmm. finding that people yeah. do want to be our yeah. ambassadors and people really do want to spread the word about the work that we do and they want to support us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I always feel really confident that once people get involved with the West Side Food Bank, they will want to stay involved. Yes. You know, whether it's participating in our hunger walk that happens every fall or, um, you know, donating. Dollars and, and recognizing, I may not have time to volunteer, but I know that if I give five dollars, that feeds twenty people. Wow! You know where else can you do that? Yeah. <laughs> no, where
1: no, that's like crazy because you know what? A cup of coffee costs five dollars, mm-hmm. and you can f- twenty A cup meals. Of coffee in Los Angeles
0: costs more than five dollars. Depends, depends, depends where you, where you go. go. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, right, and it depends on the
2: size. <laughs> yeah, know, the is, venti, the grande, <laughs> it's <don't> wild. <laughs> yeah. So you know, we really feel so heartened. You know, I, I mean. Anyone that donates, whether it's, you know, they hold a food drive and donate. We have a lot of students and kids that say, instead of, you know, giving me a gift for my birthday or my bat mitzvah, Mm. you know, donate food or, you know, donate Mm -hmm. money so that we can give it to the food bank. And that's so sweet. And, you know, I have uh, people who are retired, but they send me a $5 check every two weeks. And I know that that $5, that they miss it, that they're Mm -hmm. giving up something Mm -hmm. to send us that $5. And that touches my heart and it's so meaningful. And then there are the people who can afford to write a $10,000 check. Mm -hmm. And that's amazing too. And everywhere in between. So, you know, we encourage people to get involved by volunteering. You know, there's uh, all those thousands and thousands of pounds of food has to get boxed and sorted. You know, we repackage rice and beans. I would say more of the work that gets done at our warehouse is done by volunteers than is done by our staff because, mm. again, there's only eight of us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so that those are some ways that people can get involved. Our website is pretty easy to remember. It's just WSFB.org, like WestsideFoodBank.org. Okay. And, you know, we always post our events. Um, you know, we sometimes have fundraisers or brunches. We're just starting a group of young professionals that are going to start doing happy hours and opportunities for people to kind of meet and get involved and support us. And our big event, we don't do a big gala dinner because um, anyone who's ever done those know how much work and money it takes yeah. to put those on. Um, but we do a walkathon, and it's really fun. It's free. Uh-huh. It was really important to us that we make it free because we wanted everyone to be treated the same way. So whether you're a family that visits one of our food pantries and maybe there's three or four kids or you're a $10,000 donor or someone that works for a foundation, everybody comes in for free. Everybody gets a t-shirt and a gift bag. And those who want to and are able to do fundraising, we make it really easy. They can sign up online and do all that peer-to-peer, you know, Mm -hmm, post it on your social media. And those that are not able to, that's okay too because we recognize that by... Bringing your body to the event, yeah. you're helping to raise awareness.
1: That's awesome. And when we
2: have 500 people of all ages wearing our t shirt walking down the beach path in Santa Monica, yeah. it makes a statement. Yeah, yeah.
0: absolutely. But do you have a date for your fall walk-up Yes, so it's yeah. going
2: to be November 10th.
0: Okay, we'll put uh, it in your show 2019, yes.
2: awesome And you just go to our website, wsfb.org, and there's a link to sign up there. It, like I said, it's free. Which even for me, when I was working, I have three children, yeah, of course. and some of these events it costs twenty five, thirty dollars per person. Right, I was like, I can't bring my kids to that. Yeah, mm-hmm. so I wanted to make our event accessible.
0: That's and amazing.
2: It's you know one of the few free walkathons in Los Angeles.
1: Wow. Well, you have so much enthusiasm about what you do, which I really love. You can see that you really care about it, and even though it's sol- it's working towards solving a problem that is is hard. I'm sure on a daily basis to see some of the, you know, some of the challenges that these families and individuals go through. Um, You seem to have like a really wonderful sort of positive attitude about it. Is there anything in your personal sort of practice or daily routine that you find, because you also have to like be face-to-face with some challenging issues Mm -hmm. um, in a very like Sort of human level, mm-hmm. and there's an emotional com- emotional component to that. Is there anything a part of that's a part of your routine or your own sort of self care practice? We we often ask our guests this um, that helps you stay in that mindset and stay that enthusiastic about the work that you do. Yes, um,
2: I think self care is so important, especially for people that work in nonprofit mm-hmm. social service. Um, you know, it, on one hand, I'm I'm somewhat removed because I don't see individuals who need help on a daily basis, right. um, but I do interact with them because I visit our agencies and I talk to our um, agency staffers, and it's really important to avoid burnout. Mm-hmm. And for me personally, I, I know that I have to take care of myself so that I have the capacity to be of service and take care of others. And so what that looks like for me um, is I do have a daily meditation practice. Even if I only have five minutes, just mm-hmm. taking a few minutes every single day to pause, to breathe, yeah. mm-hmm. to let my mind be clear for a few minutes and to give myself that time, um, I think is really important. Um, I also do a quite a good bit of yoga mm-hmm. <laughs> because as a person who grew up being a dancer, I feel that... One of the ways that I can relieve stress is by moving my body. Mm-hmm. So that's really important to me. I still do sometimes take glass, uh, dance classes, but as I get older, I find yoga is a little more forgiving on the body. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so that's really important. Getting out in nature. Mm-hmm. I love to hike. We live in this beautiful city that has so many hiking trails, and that's something that anyone can do for free. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if you can get yourself there, you can hike. Um, and I think that taking a walk in nature. Sometimes letting go, you know. I mean, there are definitely times when I'm in the thick of it, and I've been at my computer all day, and there's a deadline, and I have to get a grant proposal in, and maybe I've had a tough meeting. And yeah. sometimes giving yourself permission to step away for a few minutes, yeah, and just you know, recognizing like it's okay. And in yeah. fact, I find that if I take that hour in the morning to go to yoga class, I I will probably be so much more productive right. that my I can shorten my day by an hour and. It, It is better. And Mm. just like if I'm in the thick of it and maybe I don't have a whole hour and I can't go to yoga that day, but if I just stop for a minute and say, you know what, this grant proposal is going to still be there in 10 minutes, I'm going to take a walk around the block Mm -hmm. and I'm just going to breathe. And I think recognizing that and I think also having a network of support Mm -hmm. because sometimes we don't see what we need, but our friends and our family do. And so having that check in and being that support for other people can also be really self-sustaining so I think that there's a lot we can do I'd love to see more I would love to see uh, a more kind of organized system for supporting people that are in social service work because Mm. so many of them don't take that time yeah and um, and I don't think that being a martyr produces the greatest level of um, impact
1: I would agree with you and I think that's, you know, I think it's a, an easy thing to fall into when you're in a, especially in a job of such a service oriented job where you're constantly giving, right. whether it's physically or emotionally or financially or whatever. But if you're in a constant giving mode without, without giving that replenish. Conf- right. Never you, yeah. as well.
2: And I think that's true also in families. I mean, parents will often experience that where they're so busy taking care of, someone else, or if you have an aging parent that you're taking care of, you know, you're so busy making sure that everybody else is okay, but it's so important to make sure that you're okay Mm -hmm. because that's really what makes it possible for certainly for me to, to take care of others. And it gives me energy. And so I know I, you know, I've just let go of the idea that taking time for myself is selfish. It's not, it's it's in fact the most generous thing that you can do is to take time for yourself Because in doing so, it just makes you a better person. I mean, I remember when my kids were little, and they would push me out the door. "Mommy, go take dance class." Yeah. (laughs) When you take dance class, you're nice, mommy. (laughs) (laughs) When you don't dance, you're mean, mommy. (laughs) And I think sometimes, you know, the kids recognizing that and giving me that space really helped me to recognize that when I take care of myself and I engage in self-care and I do my best to eat well and to listen to my body and, and to, you know, recognize that I'm a whole human being. Right. I'm not just the person who raises money and I'm not just the person who's a mom. All of these things feed into each other. Yeah.
0: You know, um, As we wrap up, we always ask our guests this question. And so, you know, throughout your journey and throughout your experience, have there been any books or anything you've read um, or anything you'd recommend that was really influential or important to you um, in the process? Oh, my gosh, there have been so many.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You can pick one or two if you want to.
0: Um,
2: I think I would say something that I think is really accessible to anyone Um, I've been a huge fan all my life of Louise Hay Mm -hmm. and Hay House. And um, there's a podcast, there's a meditation podcast Mm. that I find really helpful. Mm, Yeah, You know, anything from five minute to 25 minute guided meditation. So if you're someone that just can't sit in a room and just like be silent because your mind is racing, it can sometimes be helpful to have that Mm. assistance. I would say any of the books that are published by Hay House are going to be helpful. Uh-huh. Um, I really believe in positive affirmations. Um, I think that finding your own way mm-hmm. um, is really important, but looking for that support. So yeah. that's something that I would say is, is pretty easily accessible. There are podcasts, there are books, yeah. mm-hmm. there are classes. You know, some of it might be a little woo woo for some people. Um, and then I think also I'm a huge fan of like Oprah's Super Soul Conversations. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And And um, you know there have been events in recent history that made me want to take a little sabbatical from like the news. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I can um, understand that. Yeah. And, and that's that's something that that I think is really important to really carefully curate what you take in. Absolutely. Because there's so much negativity out there. Yeah. And so when I decided to do that for myself, I thought, okay, I'm gonna. What are the 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 places where I get to hear from some of the greatest leaders and the most wonderful speakers. And I found that, that Oprah's Super Soul yeah. Conversations was one of those Absolutely. for me. <laughs>
1: yeah, I listened to it too. And-, yeah,
2: and, and honestly, any book written by any of those people. Yeah, they usually have a book.
1: One of the, <laughs> right. one of the guests is no, usually Yeah,
2: one. I mean, there was one written by this woman, uh, Lynn, what, Lynn... Oh, I can't think of her name, but it was called The Soul of Money. And mm. she's a fundraiser for food. Wow. Um, and she's more fundraising for food around the world and okay. in impoverished countries. But it was so impactful and how she really, she really informed my work
1: mm-hmm.
2: by making it so clear that money is just a vehicle for making things happen.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: And and it really helped to reinvigorate my own sense of purpose as a fundraiser because sometimes you can get a little lost in like, oh, I'm raising money, I'm raising money, I'm raising money, I need your money, I want your money, <laughs> <Quiet>. <laughs> but recognizing that actually... It's not about the money. Right. It's never about the money. It's always about, first of all, a relationship. And second of all, how can I help you take this thing that you happen to have, which is money, and use it to achieve what we all want, which is a better world.
1: Absolutely. That's so beautiful. And um, I know you mentioned this earlier, but if anybody's interested in finding... You and the work that you do, and volunteering uh, or vo- donating. Exactly. Can you just say where on the web, besides the website, mm-hmm. you said? Sure. Westside food bank, Dot org.
2: <laughs> yes. And we're also, we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, we're on Twitter, we're on YouTube. In fact, we're trying to get up to a thousand followers on YouTube subscribers yeah. Great. because that'll give us the opportunity to use their beautiful studios in uh, Playa Vista.
1: Oh, wonderful. And
2: uh, we want to do some cooking shows and things that would be really helpful. So please subscribe to us on YouTube, even though we only have a few videos up. If so
0: listeners... at West Side Food Bank on yeah. YouTube?
2: Okay, perfect. If you just Google West Side Food Bank, you'll find us right away. And if you search us on Facebook, we're West Side Food Bank. Instagram, it's West Side Food Bank. Uh Twitter's the only one that's different. It's W Side Food Bank.
0: Okay. Okay, great. And all of this for everyone listening is linked in our show notes. So yes. go look there and you can click and, and subscribe to them on YouTube so that they can use the studios. Absolutely. Then we'll have some fabulous cooking shows for Yay. you. Well thank you so much for joining us. Thank we you. yeah, I just thank um, you. This was such an important conversation. Well, thank, so thank yeah. you for having it. We really appreciate it. Thank you. And I appreciate your interest. Thanks.
1: Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Courageous Wellness. Tune in every Wednesday for a new episode featuring a different guest each week.
0: Subscribe, rate, and write us a nice review. And you can follow us on Instagram at Courageous Wellness. Until next week, I'm Allie. And I'm Erica, and we're Courageous Wellness.